Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We've been in this for the last few weeks. We're doing a series called Pursuit. Um, We talked about worship as response. Worship is holiness. Last week, we talked about offering our bodies. And worship is physical. And Bill preached an amazing message. You need to hear it. It's so great when you're not at church preaching and you're getting text messages from all of your friends saying how great church was and how great the speaker was, knowing that it wasn't you. I felt so great about that. No, I really did feel good. It was awesome. But so uh, we're going to talk about something else today. So let's read Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so Paul, if you recall the last, last couple of weeks, if you missed it in summary, Paul says, therefore, in view of all that God has done, in view of what Christ has done on the cross, in view that you were once slaves, but now you're free, you were once orphans, but now you're sons and daughters of the king, in view of the fact that you were once considered a sinner, you're now a saint, in view of all of that, Offer your bodies um, as a living sacrifice. So physical body. Remember we talked about the body yesterday or last week. Uh, uh, Bill, whoever his name is, Bill Doctrum, Pastor Bill, whatever his name is, um, he preached that, he talked about the soul. Um, it's not just your physical body, it is that, but it's your entire soul. It's your mind capacity, your social capacity, your emotional capacity, your physical capacity, and your spiritual capacity. Offer your entire self, those, all of those things, those categories, to God in holy and pleasing ways. This is your, uh, uh, the only c- kind of worship that makes sense. Does that make you with me? That's how we've translated the, couple, the last couple of weeks. Today I wanna talk about living sacrifice. Now, um, in order for me to talk about this, I, I really need to paint a picture of what sacrifice looked like back then. Uh, because we're not walking around slaughtering animals and burning them on altars today, right? Right? <laughs> okay, thank God. <laughs> We'd have a different issue. <laughs> Someone's like, well, actually, um, just go to Seal Beach, please. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, but in order to get this, uh, what we have to recognize is that what Paul's getting to is a very technical term um, that has to do with an offering, um, like a, an offering in a religious kind of uh, rite or a religious ritual when he says the word sacrifice. So I wanna talk about sacrifice today. And then I wanna talk, in order to do that, I wanna talk about ancient religious consciousness. You can write that down, ancient religious consciousness. Um, I wanna talk about Leviticus, which is the best book in all of the scriptures. Um, And then we're gonna talk about camping with an eight-month-old. And then we're gonna talk about what it looks like to sacrifice and worship today. Does that sound good? You with me? So religion, ancient religious consciousness. So Genesis chapter 22. This, this verse always frustrated me. Whenever I did apologetics, people always asked the question, how can a loving God ask a man to sacrifice his son on an altar? Genesis chapter 22. Let's look at that verse, yeah? Genesis 22 verse one. Uh, a man named Abraham is tested. It says this. Uh, God's, he said to Abraham, Abraham, 
Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So stop right there. The question is, how can, uh, what kind of God asks a man to sacrifice his son as an offering? Isn't that interesting? We read in the first book of our Bible um, a story of a guy named Abraham who leaves his family and follows God. The promise that he has is he will be a blessing to the nations. He'll have descendants that number the sand in the desert. Um, he, he's gonna have this whole tribe after him. The man named Abraham gets really old and he doesn't have a son and he's wondering if God will fulfill this promise. Eventually he does. He gives, uh, his wife gives birth in late years to the, uh, uh, Isaac. And then later on in the story, we read about this testing of Abraham where Abraham is asked to take his son whom he loves and sacrifice it to God. It's just crazy, right? I just have to say, that's weird. And maybe you read this and you're like, oh, you know, it's just totally normal. It's not normal to have to sacrifice your child, but it was normal in the ancient religious consciousness. Now let me explain this, and I've talked about this before, but back in the day, thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, ancient civilizations and, uh, and people developed a consciousness that basically said, look, there are powers in the world, forces that you don't have control over. Um, rain, sun, disasters, earthquakes, lightning, thunder. Um, and there are things in nature that we need to survive. And when those forces don't go our way, we die. Or when they do go our way, we live. And so in ancient civilizations, they gave these forces names and personalities and they became gods and goddesses. And in order to appease these gods that were distant and demanding, um, they brought sacrifices to them. So in ancient Mayan culture, ancient civilizations, the Egyptians, you read about all these different gods that had power over the sun, over the harvest, over um, fertility, over the rain. And so if you wanted it to rain, not too much because it would wipe out your crops, but just the right amount, you would bring uh, maybe a bull or a lamb or something to sacrifice to that deity. Are you with me? And, and, and then if it rained the perfect amount, you would bring a Thanksgiving offering. You, you bring maybe a couple of birds or maybe some of the, the first fruits of the harvest and you would say thank you. And then next year would come around and uh, you know because you don't know where, where you stand with the gods, you would bring more lambs and birds and bulls and harvest to, to appease the gods. This is ancient religious consciousness. You never knew where you stood with these gods. They were angry, they were distant, they were demanding, and you had to offer sacrifices to appease them. Sometimes you would offer something and it, the sun would scorch your crops and you realized what? You didn't offer enough. And so what you see in ancient civilization is that you just had to offer more and more and more stuff because you never knew where you stood with the gods. And so it got to the place where you would offer the stuff that's most valuable to you. So you see in ancient civilizations the practice of sacrificing your firstborn child because what's more valuable than that? Are you with me? Okay, so that was common during the time that Ab the story of Abraham was written, okay? It was common for other religions to sacrifice to various gods the things that they valued most. But in the story of Abraham, it's a revolutionary story. 
It's a revolutionary story if you look at it in the context. And here's how it's revolutionary. Abraham doesn't have to sacrifice his son. If you read the story, it goes on and he says to his servants, hey, I'm taking my boy Isaac up to the mountain. We're gonna worship. And he says, and we are gonna come back down. He says that before he even knows God provides a sacrifice for him. So he goes up there, prepares the altar, stacks up the wood, puts his boy on there, binds him, and he doesn't kill his son. Instead, God stops him. And apparently, the God of our scriptures provides the sacrifice unlike any other God in history. Are you with me? So ancient religious consciousness, what we have to know is that sacrifice always meant you give the first and the best and the most valuable. Are you with me? We're talking about sacrifice. When you look at ancient concept, ancient consciousness, they gave the first, they gave the best, and they gave the most valuable. Cool? Now go to Leviticus. Uh, take a Skip Exodus and go to Leviticus in your Bible. Let's just go there together. Let's flip or scroll through, or whatever it is, to Leviticus chapter one. Now, how many of you have read Leviticus? I'm just curious. Let's just see. Oh my gosh, can we be honest here? It's really boring. It's really, really boring. But, again, in context, this is a revolutionary book. It is pulling society and culture of its time forward. So let me explain a little bit about Leviticus. I just wanna, I wanna read one verse and talk about this. But you open up Leviticus and it begins with uh, various instructions for how to sacrifice to God. So there's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And that sounds like a party, right? Guilt, sin. No, not a party for you? Okay, maybe... Maybe for us that sacrifice animals regularly. But um, uh, to add to the complexity of all these offerings, it gets really, really detailed. Verse by verse, it goes into the details of what you do with those animals that you sacrifice. It talks about what to do with the fat of the animal, what to do with the loin of the animal, what to do with the long liver of the animal. I mean, serious details that you don't want to hear from the pulpit about what to do with these sacrifices. And guys, there's so much blood. It talks about sprinkling blood and spilling blood and all this blood manipulation. It's so weird and it's so complex. But the book talks about all of, the de- all of these details for a very specific reason. And this is what makes the book revolutionary. You see, in the time Leviticus was written, the gods were angry distant, demanding, detached, and they were constantly needing to be appeased, all the forces in the world. But, and you never knew where you stood with the gods of the other religions. But you read in Leviticus chapter one. So go to Leviticus one, verse two. I just wanna show you how revolutionary this is. It says this, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering, circle offering, to the Lord, and it's a capital L-O-R-D, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. So it begins in the very beginning. And we just read over this. We're thinking, this is so archaic. Anyone brings an offering, first of all, uh, to the Lord. The word Lord is the, the word, the name associated with Yahweh, the God who liberates people who are enslaved. 
the fact that we know his name means there's intimacy with a God who frees us from slavery. So in the beginning, we have this name in this book that when you bring an offering to this God who liberates anyone that's ever been enslaved. But the word offering in Hebrew is korban, which means to draw near. When you draw near to God, this is what you're to to do. So Leviticus is revolutionary because it lets you know that because of the sacrificial system, in other words, how do a group of unholy people have a relationship with a holy God? God provides the ways to maintain and sustain relationship through Leviticus for people of God to draw near to him as their, as their God. And so all the other gods in the, in the ancient context, you didn't know where you stood. You didn't have access to them. You never had a relationship. You were always anxious about whether or not he was pleased with you. But according to Leviticus, the offerings in Leviticus served as God's gracious provision for how one could regain and sustain fellowship with God. Does that make sense? So when you read Leviticus tomorrow, just think of that, okay? All right, no one's taking me seriously here. So what would happen uh, if you suddenly realized that something uh, wrong happened to you several days ago? How would you make that right? How do you, how do you sustain relationship? Well, there was a, a, an offering for messing up for uh, your day. What happens if you unintentionally harm somebody because you have to live perfectly uh, in order to sustain relationship with the Holy God? Well, there was an offering to cover that issue. It's like an app for that. What happens if you curse somebody? There was an offering for that. Literally, there was all these offerings and ways that you could sacrifice to maintain a right relationship with God. Now, I wanna get detailed and I promise I'm coming back to Romans, but let's just make sure we grasp what's happening. Um, How did it work? How did the sacrificial system work? And I know you guys are so excited to learn about slaughtering animals, but let's just talk about this for a minute because it's, it's much, you know, two-thirds of our entire Bible is the Old Testament. This is a big book in the Old Testament. What would happen is a worshiper uh, would bring an animal, stand in line, wait in that line, to bring that animal to a priest in the tabernacle or temple. And standing there before the priest, he would place his hand on the animal, identifying himself with the animal. He would then confess his sin to the priest and explain the reason for the sacrifice and the offering. Then the worshiper would kill the animal and cut it up, and the priest would burn Um, that animal on a great bronze altar, a big altar. He would put it on the altar that would be burning and it would burn up the animal. And some of the sacrifices would involve the entire animal being burned. Other sacrifices, just bits and pieces of meat would be burned. And then the priests would take a set, uh, some of the, 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 the meat for themselves to eat. And sometimes the, the worshiper would take the meat that was burned at the altar and have a meal with his family or friends. But in every case, the worshiper killed the animal from his own flock with his own hands the best of his own flock with his own hands. These sacrifices expressed in a vivid and tangible way the cost of sin and the worshiper's responsibility in it. Are you with me? The animal represented the worshiper dying that he might live. And it was a reminder um, as he recalled his sin that the cause of death was his sin, but God provided a way out through sacrificing the animal. Are you with me? That's basically 
the Old Testament laws of sacrifice in a nutshell. Is that imagery powerful? Is it powerful? Yes, that you're associating the sacrifice. You bring an animal, an offering from your own harvest, from your own flock to God, and he represents you. That's what sacrifice meant in the Old Testament. Powerful imagery. It's kind of like camping with an eight-month-old, okay? Now, I want to talk about worship as sacrifice, and I thought the only way I can really explain this um, is, is this. So stay with me, okay? So a few months ago, when my boy was eight months, we decided to take a family vacation with some friends. And so an eight-month-old, if you don't have kids, I'm going to show you what it took. Some of the stuff that was involved with this process. So there is, you know, a pack and play, which is a a portable yet very inconvenient, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, crib. And then this is the tiny tent that we needed for, for us. That's a bumbo. I'm going to give you a new vocabulary too. If you don't have kids, this thing over here is a bumbo. It's this weird thing that you put little kids that can't sit up straight in. Um, but I just want to, I just want to show you some of the stuff that we brought for our trip as we wanted to go and camp as a family, this is without exaggeration, all of this stuff was honored. This is one sleeping bag. This is a cooler, because you have to have room for milk and whatever else that you have. My son wasn't walking yet, but he would pull himself up. So this was the toy um, that was covered in dirt as we camped. I'm not even close to being finished. So I'm camping. This is the illustration. All right. <clears throat> Again, this is, guys, all of this stuff is so that we can sleep outside, okay? So... <laughs> You know, we've got chairs, we got blankets. This is like this, my mom got this for me, it was perfect. It's a foam, like a, a memory foam like thing. So my wife and I, we laid on this thing, I think just one of us. No, yeah, one of us on that. Um, and then of course, like why else would you go camp, beach camping for that matter, without a surfboard? So I brought my surfboard, which I used for about five seconds because I was so exhausted from unloading the car. But... <laughs> So here's the deal. So we go camping. Now, I could try to set this up. I mean, first it's the tent, and then it was the battery-powered sound machine for camping because they sleep all the time, your kids. And then, you know, you've, you've got the pack-and-play to set up. You've got all sorts of goodness, and it was exhausting. I mean, I can't even explain, like, just trying to figure out, I mean, our friends that were on the trip, we were, by the end of it, we were so spent and hot, and it was, it was just, it was just so exhausting, but then uh, the point of all of that stuff is to have all the energy, all the pack, our, our car was completely filled. I had a single backpack for my stuff, and all this stuff for a kid this big who just, <laughs> so that, so that we could have and experience and wonder as a family. And, and if you just look at the parts, the, the sleeping bag and the packing and the food and the preparation and the driving and the crying and the, the setting up and the tearing down and, and, and all the energy so that our family could just experience camping, you would think if you just looked at all those things individually, it wouldn't be worth it, but it was so worth it. The sacrifice was worth it because sacrifice creates space to receive more. Sacrifice creates space to receive more. In all of the pouring out and packing and unpacking, somehow 
we were able to experience something beautiful and wonderful that was absolutely worth it. And as I joke about all the stuff, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I absolutely would bring my boy um, to go and sleep under the stars with all of that stuff. And, and here's the point. Sacrifice, by definition, is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So when we give up something that we value for the sake of something else, we sacrifice. We do this all the time. We sacrifice for what or whom we love the most, don't we? Don't we do this all? We sacrifice for our kids to have kids. We sacrifice uh, for education. We sacrifice for the businesses that we run, for the school that we go and get. We sacrifice for our friends, for our community, for the stuff we want to purchase. I think we know that we have a culture of sacrifice. We're just sacrificing for the wrong things. We will stand in line for six hours to get the new iPhone, but we won't show up on time to worship the living and resurrected God or whatever. That's just a poor example, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was standing in line this year, so it doesn't matter, all right? So, but it was only 30 minutes. But anyways, um, and I'm here early. Sacrifice. <laughs> hey, I'm really just playing, but anyways, um, kind of serious. So sacrifice, what does it mean in context of worship? When we look at the ancient context, when we look at camping, and we look at what Paul's trying to do. A couple of thoughts. Sac worship as sacrifice, what does it mean? Sacrifice means you don't come empty-handed. You don't ever come empty-handed to worship. I was in India at a village church where they live on less than a dollar a day. They had 120 people sitting on this dirt floor with a ceiling fan in 110 heat. And um, they, they have two and a half hour services or something like that. And they worship forever. They, don't, they have a, a drummer with one drum banging his thing and like this electric machine that makes the weirdest noise. And they're clearly not, you know, in tune or in beat or even singing songs that um, are cool at all. They're not Hillsong or Bethel. But they worship their hearts out on their knees for two hours. Communion comes to them and they're weeping as they receive a piece of bread and juice to remember Jesus. And then at the end, they go around with a stick with a bag attached to it and they go to every single person because they recognize as a community of God that because of what God's given, they come every Sunday with something to give back to God. Maybe it was an egg from their chicken that might produce an egg a week Maybe it was a, a little bit of rice or lentil. Maybe it was a couple of coins. Maybe it was literally a, a Sprite bottle because that's all they had, not even the Sprite itself. They, had, they were putting that in the offering basket because they recognized that worship means you don't come empty-handed. You with me? The other thing that I've, I was reflecting on is that sacrifice means it costs you something. When we talk about worship as sacrifice, it costs us something. And what I want to say is that our culture makes everything easy for us, comfortable for us, convenient for us, safe for us, casual for us. They build, uh, churches build their, their experiences around your needs. And brothers and sisters, that's not healthy for a church to do. The church is not here to meet your needs. Do you know? It's not. <laughs> 
Now, if you have needs, we will meet them. But the, the number one reason we're here is to glorify God and make disciples of all nations. Worship means it costs you something. Um, sacrifice means you bring the very best you have. Sacrifice and worship means you bring your best, your A game. Sacrifice is not easy, it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, it's not safe, and it's not careful or cautious. Sacrifice always creates space to receive more. So, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The way the message reads is this. I love this translation. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, your going to work, and your walking around kind of life, and place it before God as an offering. In other words, what Paul's saying in my words is, I want you to put your life on the altar, your entire life, not just bits and pieces of your life. I want to put your, you to put your marriage on, your, uh, on the altar, your friends, your family, your job, your dreams, your money, your career, the food you eat, the words you use, the clothes you buy, the hobbies you have, the cars, the homes, the stuff, your sexuality, your identity, your kids, your parents, your weekends, your entire life, all of that on the altar to God, that's worship. That's worship. <laughs> I want you to live all of that stuff out in a way that pleases God and brings him joy and pleasure in how you live your life. Romans chapter 12, verse one. None of it is to earn favor. None of it is to receive more favor from God or credit or blessing. Remember, we're doing this in response to what God has already done. We do all of this stuff. We bring our finances, our, we submit our careers, our sexuality, our desires, our, our, the way we watch TV. We bring all of that to God because he's brought all of himself to us. You see, the sacrificial system's done away with, with Jesus. He was the perfect, spotless lamb. He was the last sacrifice. Now, all we get to do is live in response to that sacrifice. And you know what's hard about living sacrifices? They're not dead. They try to crawl off the altar. And I just wonder how many of you are trying to crawl off the altar. I mean, think about what are the areas that you're crawling off the altar? Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is your sexuality, your dream. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your emotions, you, that's king. Maybe it's your family. Things you don't want God, I, I see this all the time. We, we give God these, these compartments in our life that we control and manage because it's very easy, but the things that are out of control that we can't manage, the things that are, that, that are literally crawling off the altar, that's what God wants. And that's what worship is all about, is taking that whole thing, all of that stuff, and surrendering to a loving, generous, kind God 
who's given you everything first. Is that good news? That's great news. So the questions I have, first of all, just remember that worship as sacrifice is costly, it's not easy, and at times it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Worship um, through sacrifice draws us near to God and creates space for more. And I always think, you know, people are always striving after more, more stuff, more um, success, more power. And I think the way of Jesus, what you see is he flips the world upside down. He flips that thinking upside down. It's not going after more to, to get more. It's surrendering more, sacrificing more to receive more. So for many of you, you want more in life. I don't know what that looks like, but maybe the beginning start, the phase of that is simply sacrificing those things, those desires to allow God to direct you. What do you need to sacrifice this morning on the altar before God? What's the first and best thing in your life that you need to surrender to him? What would it look like for you to give sacrificially, not just generously? What would it look like for you to give sacrificially and not just generously? And what does it look like for you to surrender your whole life in worship to God? These are the questions that I have. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.